Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out. For comic book commentary Spinning the winning inside Fix how they got a hot idea Narrative character visual tricks And onomatopoeia Uh-huh It's comic book commentary This first page was hard for me That's I hope it looks effortless But like I think I did about Four versions of it Wow, really? I settled on this. Yeah. I love talking to you and Mirka about how you do what you do. Um, and I said, like, let's, uh, let's get a, or I think you suggested, let's get a baseline and just sort of tell about our processes. And you sent me this uh, stuff on how you work. And yeah. I don't understand any of it. That's okay. Like, it's this is so far magic. outside. It's, it's just like, I, I don't know the visual arts. Like, I don't know how you do it. So can you sort of just walk me through the basics of what, what happens when you receive an issue from Mirka? Yeah. Okay. So let's start, I'm going to start really, really basic and then we can get into some like art stuff. So I'm going to start with really technical stuff. Um, when I get the line art that usually comes from the company company and it's usually, uh, uh, put to a standard size, um, and then it has the it's adjusted for the bleed and the crop and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes when people are independently creating things, they don't um, have that production experience. And so if I'm working with one of with somebody with with less production experience or independently, <clears throat> no production arm, then usually I have to do the production first. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was starting out, I used to flat my own stuff. And sometimes for like really simple stuff, I'll still flat it. And this is uh, preparing the line art in a way that I can uh, easily subject, uh, select areas and color them. I see. So if you imagine the line art uh, as like uh, an acetate overlay, and then the flats would be like stencils mm-hmm. um, that sort of cut out the area. So when I go in with a paintbrush, everything's all masked off. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then you want like that line art on a, on a layer above. So it's never disturbed by anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I get the liner, if I don't have to do production, I send it right to the flatters. So these are uh, people that I subcontract to who saved my life by <laughs> flatting like uh, five to eight pages a day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then when they're done with those, I get them back and then I color correct them because like I said, their job is not to pick colors. Their job is just to create selections. So uh, sometimes in crowd scenes, I'll cheat a little and use work (laughs) off of their colors a little bit, but usually it has to be adjusted a lot to get um, what I'm specifically looking for. Interesting. Color uh, has mood, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't just throw everything together and expect a mood to be created. So you have to sort of control all that stuff. And there's various techniques to control it. um, And uh, how a colorist does that is kind of how the colorist develops their own style. Okay. Um, We we can talk a little bit about that, especially on these first few pages of issue two. But I'm curious to know, like... What what do you see as your job? I mean, if, it strikes me that there's so much. It's it's mood, and then technically, it's not just color. It's light and shadow and that kind of thing, um, which isn't yeah. always part of the line art. Um, like okay. what what all goes on in your head as you're looking at, for example, like this this first page, this splash page. So I sort of think of coloring as the soundtrack to a movie, mm-hmm. um, because it is not necessary, but it helps a lot. It helps direct your attention. Um, it helps inform your feelings. It helps create focus. So for me, I prioritize coloring. Uh, the first thing that's most important is that I should create focus. Mm-hmm. The second thing that's most important is I should create mood. And then sort of whatever after that, (laughs) (laughs) whatever (laughs) Whatever needs to be done. (laughs) Um, so, so let's, let's talk about those things. Um, in creating focus, what does that mean? How do you decide what Uh, needs focus? This is one of my favorite things to talk about. This is actually like (laughs) a really technical art thing that applies to any form of art. Uh, creating focus in visual arts, you have a lot of tools at your disposal. Um, The first one that's most obvious is contrast, okay? So where you put the highest points of contrast is where the human eye is naturally going to uh, Mm -hmm. go to immediately. So where you have a really strong highlight next to a really deep shadow, that's like your your strongest point of contrast. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing you can use to create focus is you can use um, uh, detail. So how much detail there is also sort of causes the eye to, to look at it and tarry there. Um, for me, I have a really strong attraction to um, diagonals. Um, hmm. So I tend to use those a lot. <laughs> I like them. Um, where, where there's a visual tension, so where curves intersect with hard lines, um, Interesting. Will, will, will cause focus. Will you point that out as we go through? I'd be curious to sort of get specific examples yeah. of that stuff. Um, I don't but know I, if I use that much in here. Oh, there's a few spots where it occurs. Okay. Um, as it strikes. And you. Th- another thing you can use is you can use um, warm cold mm-hmm. contrast. So uh, a color can be warm or it can be cold, mm-hmm. and you can create a lot of interest. Um, when you put those two together. Sure. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and then, so, so that's the sort of starting point, right? Like is, yeah. is creating focus. Um, and then tell me again, what was, what was the next thing you said? The next mood. step for you? Yeah. Mood. Yeah. Um, so for mood, 
Uh, I went to school for painting. Okay. Um, so I have a background in fine arts, oil painting. Um, I did like lots of gouache painting and, and oil painting, um, in my twenties. Uh, and so all that sort of built up data of feelings in my head that I associate with different colors. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's uh, a little something I'm doing in Hexwise, which is like, I, I think a lot of people in comics have a, a contrarian streak. <laughs> and I am definitely one of those because I have this thing where like people are like, oh, well, all these colors specifically mean this one thing, right? Like hmm. red means angry. It doesn't like the, the, the color has no inherent meaning that's not given to it contextually or culturally. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so what I have been doing and I'm hoping people pick up on this, but maybe they're, I don't know. I could be more heavy handed with it. <laughs> and I think we've talked about me getting more heavy handed with it, but I like, I don't know that this book needs anything more heavy handed. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, the, I'm using the color green to mm -hmm. be the colors of control. And I, I specifically chose that color one because it's, it's not really used that way very much. So it should give it a little bit of uncanny feeling mm -hmm. um, because people would normally associate like red with control. Right. Sure. Um, but, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted uh, the blood to stand out. Um, green has a wider range of values. So, uh, red has a really neat narrow range of values. So if I associated the architects with red, I wouldn't be able to like um, have them in lots of different locations. I wouldn't be able to like slowly seep it into the page mm -hmm. um, because it has such a limited value range and such a limited temperature range. Whereas green has, uh, you have warm greens, you have cold greens, you have, <laughs> you have the whole value range with green. Um, so I can start seeping it in everywhere. And the human eye is very sensitive to that color. Hmm. So uh, that's why I chose green. And it sets off the blood magic nicely. Yeah, that's so. really interesting. I remember, um, well, two things. Uh, there was the panel at the end of issue two, which was a, I think it was just a, a one-er of uh, Aaron. And yeah. it was a panel that to me, when I was writing it, I felt like it was very innocuous. Like the, the subtext was going to do all the work. And then when I got the color to it, it was this angry green. Uh, <laughs> and it should like, that shouldn't work, but it worked so well. And it heightened the tension of that scene incredibly well. And instead of asking the reader to understand the subtext and then apply it to the tension of the scene. You were, you were giving it to him in such a visceral way. It really knocked me out. Well, thank you. Um, and, and I'm, I'm lucky because like, I, I'm like, I think I'm maybe like a little naturally sensitive to color. Um, and part of why I went into painting was just like, I, I love, I love color. I love putting colors next to each other and seeing what happens and mm. how it makes me feel and how other people react to it. Like, uh, when I was tweeting about those greens oh, right. <laughs> a while ago, like people had really visceral reactions to that green. Can you, and I was like, let's talk about for people who didn't see it. Will you talk about that for a second? And I'm curious to hear what people's reactions were and, and why you think they were that. Uh, I don't 
don't know why it happens. I just know that it does happen. <laughs> so I tweeted out like this really weird green palette that I like. That's like, um, it's a very cold sort of yellowy green mm-hmm. and then, um, a really warm sort of olive green that's a little less saturated. And then, um, there was like a saturated cold dark green also, but it's just like a palette of greens that I mm-hmm. really like that a lot of people have a very visceral reaction to. Um, and, and it was just like one of those things where people were like, this is disgusting. Like half the people were like, this is disgusting. And half the people were like, I love this. Um, and I, so I have no idea why that happens, but for some reason that set of greens like really makes people have feelings. What, what is your reaction to it? Like, what does it evoke for you and how would you want to use it? For me, and maybe this is what people's reacting to, because mm-hmm. I guess you wouldn't ever really see those greens together in a natural setting. So like on a really, um, like a really primitive level, mm-hmm. we're like, whoa, something's uncanny here. <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, anytime anything's uncanny, like I run towards it. <laughs> I'm like, what's this? What's going on over here? How do I take this apart? Um, and maybe that's, uh, maybe that's not everybody's reactions. That's so interesting. <laughs> I don't know when you posted that and, and we'll, we should put it back up when, when we put this out, but uh, like to me, it felt like, oh, you could do a whole swamp thing run in the in this palette you know what i mean like yes. it has the organic plus uh unnatural yeah. uh, or the organic plus almost supernatural that that a book like that would have yeah i would love to work on a swamp thing what are we <laughs> waiting mean. for what what are we waiting somebody, for dc somebody has to hire me if you're listening <laughs> sure they are um <clears throat> Let's talk about this issue three for a moment. Um, yes. Uh, Mirka started it with this uh, splash page, which is a close-up of um, Izzy, which I don't think this was in my script. I think my I tend to do a wider shot on a splash page, and this was Mirka's decision. I think it's such a good one. Yeah, I love it. Um, tell me a little bit about the lighting on this page. <sighs> okay. This one was like tough, like I said before, just because um, one of the other things I'm doing in this book is uh, I want to set up that tension between the real world and the false world. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't want to do like a corny shifted palette thing because, well, one, I needed that shifted palette for the control. What does Um, shifted palette mean? It's just like um, putting, uh, if you think of uh, a palette as like five sets of colors, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you can scoot them all over a little bit on the color wheel mm-hmm. in relationship to each other so that you can tell it's different, but it still um, has a relationship to I the pre palette. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, uh, so I was, I'm using specific palettes uh, for like control and magic and things like that. So I couldn't really do the real world versus the fake world by moving around palettes because I think that would get things too visually muddy. Mm -hmm. So what I decided to do was do like a cell cut versus more rendered. So cell cut is like, uh, well, you know, like, (laughs) like it looks when they're in the fake world and there's just one um, hard shadow. Okay. I see. Yeah. And then on the other ones, like I'll do like 
gradients and I'll do uh, like more lighting sources and things like that. Oh, neat. So, so it should give this like, that should also build a little bit on the uncanniness. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes like it doesn't always work, but you know, you, you try, <laughs> sometimes you fail. Sometimes yeah, it works. No, I mean, looking at this, it's like, it, it's a horror movie shot, right? Yeah. Uh, like the, it, it's all mood and what you've put in here, not just enhances what the line art was, but it feels like it tells more of the story, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So on this one, uh, the, the first thing I had to do was like I had to look at the pages together and figure out how the, the three things I was working with fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, how the palettes and the lighting work together. And that's what made this first shot really hard because hmm. I have to, she's, she's sort of caught in between that false world and the real world right now. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it took me, it took me a few tries to convey that. Um, because if I, if I rendered it up a lot, uh, in the light areas, then it looked a little like corny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't really have that strength of light blasting her in the face. Um, and I tried lighting it different ways, like with a angled light. Um, hmm. And uh, let's see, I lit directly from the bottom up. I I just lit it. I lit her face from a couple different directions. Wow. But this was the one splitting it in half was the one that evoked the best feeling for me. Yeah. And well, I had it- to figure out how to get that, like, the light to show that there's more complex lighting in here. <laughs> yeah. That was the thing I was really curious about. Um, Cause when you look at these next couple pages and we're in this hidden room, there is no real light source. I mean, I guess there's that candle, right? Yeah. But that's kind of it. So, yeah. you know, you, you get on uh, like on pages two and three, like there's this, I don't, it's not a flat light, but it's a light that's not from anywhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's called a sculptural light. Okay. So you can. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, we got some mail. <laughs> Esther, one second. Is your mailman a dog? I say we leave that in. <laughs> so she's, she's helping me out. <laughs> she wants That's me to fine. know there's mail. <laughs> um. Yeah. So this is what's called sculptural light. And so what I wanted to do in here is, you see, I built up to that green. I'm, yeah. I'm sort of going to treat this all as one sequence because yeah, that's sure. the way I think about things. Um, the uh, So I knew at the end of the sequence they needed green light cast on them um, and that the green light needed to like flatten out at the end as she goes more under his control. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, if I need that light cast, what I can do is use like a sculptural light and since she's sort of um, in this red room, I just sort of uh, just did a really sculptural light that that let her body show. Um, hmm. And I love I love rendering the witch's mother body. Like it's so great, and I never get to render that kind of stuff. Um, Is it be- because you know. that you don't have to mess around with clothes and stuff? Um, I don't know. I just. I really like uh, the human form and I like all the interesting shapes it takes. Mm-hmm. And I really like, um, I, 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 
feel like deflated breasts have a really fascinating look that a lot of people try to never see. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, yeah, it was really exciting to be able to get to render that and, and show it because it, it has all this form where there's, there's the muscle under the, there's the pictorial muscles. Yeah. And then um, what happens is women age is the, the mammary tissue um, deflates mm-hmm. and you, you know, you lose, you lose the elasticity of your skin and it's like, uh, it's a very evocative form mm-hmm. um, that, that you just never see, which I feel like is really disappointing. Yeah, and um, I, as I recall, um, I think we had to do with Mirka a couple of stabs at this um, because mm-hmm. it is like, it's not something she gets to draw a lot. It's not something yeah. anyone gets to draw a lot. It's a, it, it is, as you say, an unusual thing to find in a book. Yeah. Uh, and I think she absolutely nailed it. Yeah, it's great. I, I'm so happy with it. Um, yeah, so I got that sculptural light and then I didn't want to ignore the candle. So I let the candle give like a little bit of a rim light. Mm -hmm. Um, and that actually like helps create moments of interest that, that sort of, um, uncanny light. And I tried to think of the lighting in this as more a cinematic, like less real light. Mm -hmm. Um, cause she is kind of in an unreal place and the mood is more important here than, than like the reality of anything. Uh, so uh, and when, what was this page three, when he's coming in and, uh, I'm glad she drew it like this because it, it gives me such a direct chance to like flatten hmm. out the light in a clean transition, you know? Yeah. It, it makes, it's almost a jump scare, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's only through, I guess that, that flattening of the light and then the, the change in the type of light it is that we get an emotional response from it. Yeah. Um, that's really yeah. interesting. Um, I want to go back for one second to page two and just make a point of, uh, first of all, this idea of um, the women's language uh, where, you know, Izzy's first line in this book, in this uh, issue is what an almighty fuck. Um, I went back and forth a lot with the editors about whether or not they could swear, you know, in in their fake suburb. Uh, and there was a, a lot of discussion about what we could get away with as far as like using, I don't know what they call them in comics anymore, when you just put symbols instead of swears. Like, oh, I don't know what it's called. Yeah, like a, like a censored <laughs> swear. And we had that for a while through a bunch of the books. Um, and we wound up taking them out because it was a little... It sort of took you out of the book every time you saw it. It made you aware that you were reading a comic instead of experiencing it. Um, but the idea that the architects are so controlling that the women even forget how to express themselves in curse words. And so yeah. when they're back in the presence of the witch mother or in any kind of magic, as we see at the end of this issue, that they, they're allowed to swear again, uh, I thought was really fun. Uh, the other thing is on page two... In the fourth panel, uh, I had the witch mother say, I've been trapped in hotter ovens by stupider men, which there's no right answer to this. But tell me what that means to you. Uh, just like uh, witchy stuff. Like, <laughs> it's sort of like a inverse Hansel and Gretel for me. Yeah, that's what I was um, thinking. Uh, but also I, like a, a callback to the, to the witch trials. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's they're always thrown in fires. Uh, and I think the 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 pop culture version is Hansel and Gretel. Uh, when I gave this to the editors, Molly said, is that a Holocaust reference? <gasps> oh, right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Which became so fascinating to me, like as a loaded metaphor um, that it's something I tried to play with later on in like issue seven. Um, and we'll see if it actually goes through, but conflating those things became so fascinating <laughs> to me. And I don't think we pulled it off. I think it's eventually going to come out of issue seven, but I think that's kind of neat. Um, okay. all right. That's all I had to say in there. No, that's, uh, this is going to be a good conversation for me because sometimes like, uh, well, especially as a colorist, like I, don't always get the foreshadowing and the motifs and things like that. Cause I just get a script. Sure. <laughs> and then I have what's in front of me and I do my best to sort of piece things together and figure well, out let me ask you <laughs> what something. the motifs are. Let me ask you on that. Um, mm-hmm. Would it be like, if you're getting a script from me, from mm-hmm. any writer, would it be more helpful to have a like more exhaustive script like what, what um, do you what would you like in a script since you do you're not just working yeah. off the art you're also working off the script When you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping Kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time Kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply I, uh, let me put, <laughs> I am not a very good reader sometimes. <laughs> um, cause sometimes I'm working a lot and my ability to read words is not good. Um, also it's exhausting. Come on. Having to read scripts, <laughs> I love reading. Having to I read do, scripts, but it's so just boring. like, I just, I just get tired and I read so much and, um, I don't need it to be like crazy exhaustive, but if there's motifs you want me to catch, I, please tell me like, or if there's like foreshadowing you would like to build up to, it's helpful to tell your colorist because, you know, uh, colorists plan stuff. We love to plan stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in, uh, uh, escape from New York, which was one of my first jobs, mm-hmm. Chris Sabella gave me, um, an outline of the 10 arcs or 12, 12, issues um mm-hmm. we would do and the outline had all the different locations uh that we were going to go to and that was really helpful because then i could design palettes knowing what was coming up of course i knew there was going to be a snowy siberian place and i knew there was going to be uh like a toxic florida location mm-hmm. and and because i knew those two things i could design things earlier uh, that would set them off. Sure. That makes so, so much sense. It never even occurred to me that you wouldn't be sent all the scripts ahead of time either, that you're sort of going, they, yeah, I mean, you're going issue by issue, same as the reader is a few months later. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> like, we have six done. You should have six in your hand. Whoa. Yeah. As far as I know, <laughs> nobody's doing anything. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. Um, I will say, like, a little to that, um, I had, when I, when we started the book, I had really thoroughly broken the first two issues with Molly and Maggie, the editors. And, 
Uh, I knew that issue two ended with Izzy discovering the secret room and the witch mother. Um, I did not know how issue three started. I didn't know how we got out of that. Yeah. Um, so I was a little bit in the same boat that you are month to month where like they were asking me for the next script and I was like, I know we have to get out of this. And I know that the suburb story is not going to shut down in issue three because we have six issues to do of this. Uh, so, and and I do tend to like to write myself into a corner a little bit, uh, and figure out a way out of it. But these first, whatever it is, six, seven pages or five pages, I guess, were a lot of work, like figuring out the mechanics of getting out of that. I think it was originally just three pages and that felt too quick. Um, and then this thing on page four where uh, Aaron is sort of gaslighting her and saying, yeah. I don't see anything. What are you, what are you talking about? Uh, that was my wife's idea. <laughs> yeah, I really liked that sequence a lot. Yeah, um, it, it turned out great. Uh, it was a great idea. Um, I think Mirka drew Izzy, especially like in the second panel on four, where she just looks just almost vacant because she's so yeah. confused. Um, and then the way it gets darker and then lighter at, by the bottom of the page when he's regaining control. I think uh, that page four is really masterful. I think you guys all did an amazing job on it. Yeah, that was a, a really fun sequence to work on. And she did. She she gives me a lot to work off of, which I really appreciate. What What does that mean for you? I mean, like what... What's good and what's bad from your perspective to receive from uh, uh, from the pencils, from the inks? Hmm. That's an existential question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Everybody has their own style. Um, this is about you. I need, but uh, my style is very responsive to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I really, really enjoy the puzzle aspect of coloring. Hmm. Um, and there is sometimes stuff that I find challenging to work on, but usually it's just because stuff is that stuff. Let me be more precise in my words here. Um, usually that pages that I find most challenging are most challenging because, uh, the, the artist is rushed. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it, if they are rushed and not able to make clear decisions, mm-hmm. so that could be decisions about how things intersect, like if there's tangents or uh, about where the light is going, um, then it's then it's a lot harder for me to make clear decisions. Sure. Um, some some people are actually like geniuses at that. Like uh, Dave McKegg can take a page that is completely muddled <laughs> and somehow his lighting choices are so strong and so clear that it doesn't matter what the line art is doing, but it still doesn't overwhelm the line art. Interesting. Well, is it because um, like ultimately someone has to make a decision, right? So is it because in that sort of situation, he's steering the boat instead of like we're doing where it really is a true collaboration? Um, Dave is like a, a really special artist where he is a very clear thinker, um, mm. no matter the circumstances. So he can look at a page, clearly see what the weaknesses and strengths are and immediately calculate the most effective solution. Hmm. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, <laughs> that's why he's one of the greatest. <laughs> um, 
And that's why, you know, he teaches all over the world and stuff. He's, he's a very, very clear thinker. Gotcha. Um, I am a little more of an emotional thinker. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like I like to feel the things out. Uh, and I still like give myself a lot of structure. Like I'm saying before about, you know, choosing the lighting sources and, and trying to direct the eye and things like that. But there's still like a lot of, um, a lot of the stuff I do, I, I, I try to pay attention to how it makes me feel. And I hope that, that it makes the readers feel the same way. That's really fascinating because that is the way that I write. Um, ah. and, and my writing partner, which I, I work on everything but this book with, um, works the other way. He's a very logical writer. And, to, you know, which is why I don't hang myself up on the mechanics sometimes of, I don't know, for example, how magic works. Like, I don't care. It's yeah. going to be an emotional response yeah. uh, or getting from A to B. It kind of doesn't matter to me. Uh, we only yeah. have 22 pages. I want to I wanna get to the parts that matter. And for me, that's the, um, the parts that make me feel something. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's very interesting. I hope Mirka is working logically because one of us should have their head on, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll ask her. We'll find out. Yeah. We got to find out if she's, if she's logical or if she's emotional. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to see if we're like all emotional. <laughs> I know. I, we, you know what? We should make sure to ask her that for the, for the, uh, uh, interview part of this. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to sort of draw attention to here on page five before we get too far is, um, a couple of things. Uh, I had a lot of conversations with the editors about <laughs> where to put in, because again, it didn't really matter to me, and I was happy to let the reader figure it out. The scratching toe claw. Oh yeah. Which was to me like yes, it is obvious that was she magically grew herself a disgusting toe claw, <laughs> and yeah. that was the noise that Izzy heard. Um, and so I never had called it out. We just sort of saw it, but uh, at some point, the uh, Molly I think said. We need to call that out to make sure that that question is answered and people don't still think there are mice in the walls. Yeah, Um, yeah. So that was something. The other was, um, or two things. One is calling magic uh, effects instead of magic tricks or something or spells, Mm. uh, which I learned from a magician friend of mine. (laughs) They don't call them tricks. They call them effects. And I had never seen that applied to like, a supernatural thing, a world of actual magic. Uh, yeah. And I thought that would be fun just to call it a different name. Uh, yeah. On this uh, last panel on page five. So like I was talking before about creating interest and focus mm-hmm. um, in this shot, there's two things that's important. Like we need to know that the emotional control is happening mm-hmm. and we need to know those toenails. Um, <laughs> so you can see what I did with the green light. Um, and that like harsh, harsh cut. Yeah. And then, um, I, I added a lot of detail to the toenails because like I said before, I didn't realize that the attention, uh, the, the more detail calls attention to it. Yeah. That's really neat. Um, did you, was it your, uh, choice to highlight the, uh, bottle, the lamp coming down? Like it seems it's sort of center panel in panel four here. Um, yeah. but that's also something that could have been sort of shadowed over or didn't have to be the focus of the scene. Um, I know that that is an important object mm-hmm. and that 
uh, we're going to build up to how it's used for control. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was important to call out. I mm-hmm. just took my best guess. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's funny. Um, so it's a thing I keep going back and forth on in the scripts. To me, I felt like that was that bottle, that lamp was so uh, shrouded. Like I tried to cover it and every single person who read the first issue was like, but that's a bottle. That's a genie. Like, All right. Well, you're a little ahead of us then. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's Uh, on me. (laughs) Uh, All right. So moving on uh, to page six was the nine panel grid. Um, Is this the same color scheme? Is this the same uh, look as the previous nine panel grids? Good eye. What I did was because they're amping up the control because they're starting to lose control. I actually shifted everything more green. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So it's not. It is and it's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's moved over a little bit, um, but it's still pretty much the same. That's really neat. Same lighting. I I shouldn't say pretty much the same. It's the same lighting, Mm -hmm. um, but it's more green than it is blue now. And I think if I'm not mistaken, I'll, and I'll have to ask Mirka, um, I think it's the same same exact line art. Uh, I, we had gone back and forth about that a couple times, and I'd, I'd have to check and I'll have to ask her, but I believe it's exactly it's the same. The same except for the last two panels. That's right. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I really love. Like, I love hitting the hard reset on this, um, yeah. which is sort of paid off in a joking way in the next uh, page. But uh, shifting the colors, that's really cool. You are a magician. Yeah, I like um, <clears throat> the two other jobs I considered <laughs> <laughs> um, was uh, I really wanted to be a detective or I really wanted to be a magician. Awesome. Because like I said, I love like, I like shifting around reality. <laughs> um, we haven't hung out in person yet. Uh, but let me tell you, I walk around with an uncanny field around me. Like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Friends say that it is strange. <laughs> Things I'm get weird around me. Um, and I love it. And I, I, uh, I, I, uh, I lean into it. <laughs> well, I think honestly, look, it's, it's working in your, Art. I think that's really fascinating that you you have this thing, whether consciously or not, and you can apply it to what it is you do, and it works really well. Um, moving on. Um, so, so I talked in the past about how this nine panel grid uh, was always sort of the jumping off point of the book, and um, in this issue where it comes on page six, it is sort of a hard reset um, that. Aaron has done to Izzy so that we can part of the, the reason we had this five page, uh, five page scene with the witch mother was for the reader to get as much information as Izzy was going to get, you know, at a certain point and halfway through this arc, it seems like we need to know a little bit more about this world. Uh, and it seemed like telling her that and then taking it away from her was, the most dramatic way to do that. And then of course on page seven, I get to make a groundhog day joke. How, so how important are jokes for you in this book? Um, it's not something I consciously think about. Uh, it is part of the, 
part of wanting to do this book, and, and again, I think I talked about this on a previous um, commentary, is I wanted to write something for grownups. And the kind of stuff I like is not just one thing, right? It's nobody is serious all the time. And in fact, when danger is the greatest, that's when people tend to make jokes. Um, so if we can deflate some of the horror with a joke, to me, that just makes it even more horrific. And so having Aaron sing, I got you, babe, which by the way, uh, the DC, um, people made us take out some of the lyrics of, yeah, they, which they tend to do, which, uh, I was bummed out about because in an upcoming issue, I wanted them all to be singing a Lizzo song and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, they're going to make me take out those lyrics. <laughs> so I have to change it totally. Um, anyway, so I love coming out from, from six to seven, like these are some, we're, we're in like green scenes here. Yeah. Uh, which now that I understand now that my brain understands instead of just emotionally understanding what that's doing, um, is totally fascinating to me. Yeah, and you can see where there's like uh, little pops of not green. Actually, mm-hmm. a lot of so a lot of the stuff that looks really, really red um, is. Let me open it up and get exact colors. But it should be a lot of the stuff that looks red is either like pretty brown or mm-hmm. gray, mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because color is crazy. It's so incredible. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it uh, You're such a color nerd. I am a huge <laughs> color nerd. You have no idea. Um, so these pants, you know, that look pretty, pretty warm, mm-hmm. um, if they're not next to a green, they are actually a very cold, um, like a, like a raw umber sort mm-hmm. of color. Um, oh, interesting. But, but in all that green, it looks really red. So I mm-hmm. have to be careful with how I'm using things because it's, it, it's easy for it to look too Christmassy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so. I think it's also neat on this page and the next one where like, I think in my script, I had said something like, you know, he's made a mess in the kitchen and Mirka just like took that to she heart. <laughs> she went crazy. <laughs> I, got uh, page, I, like, Whoa. I don't know how someone could make that kind of a mess in the kitchen, but uh, I've seen it. <laughs> it uh, all right. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, it certainly does the job, right? Sometimes I forget that uh, a comic book is not the same medium as TV or film. Like something that, like, I think the way that you have colored this, the way that it's presented here is it's almost unremarkable how extensive and ridiculous the mess is. (laughs) And it almost fades into the background, which is exactly what that scene needed. Yeah. It's not really a question, um, but it was that something you have to consider. <laughs> like, I guess it's more about like, what's the focus of the scene, right? It comes back yeah. to that question. Yeah. And like, I think we talked, we've talked a lot about how, uh, about the control issues and things like that in mm-hmm. this book. And, and like, for me, understanding this scene, like this, him making this mess wasn't any attempt at him making breakfast. Right. That was not. That's not at all what he is doing. (laughs) He is trying to control her. He's trying to like give her something to do so Mm -hmm. that she isn't thinking about things that she needs to think about. Um, And, and so I also sort of viewed that as a normal thing for him to do. Um, 
so so I didn't I could have made it like rainbow colored or something like that, <laughs> like pulled out every spot and but that felt like it felt too hammy and too like corny. Yeah. And too cartoony. Which to it me just when didn't I, hit the right notes for me. Absolutely. When I saw the original art, I think that's what I was picturing. And I think what you did was was to pull it all way back. Uh, and so yeah. it really gets to the core of it, which is, yeah, he this is a control move. Um, which again, I I think this came from a conversation with my wife who was like, these a way of control is to be like, to, is to be a baby, right? Is to say, you have to help me. I don't know what I'm doing. And <laughs> yeah. I literally had him do that in the scene. Uh, and just one more note, this line uh, at the bottom of seven, from now on you get cocktails or wine, not cocktails and wine, which to oh, me is so condescending. Yeah. Um, it is. It was Molly's favorite line in the whole uh, issue. It is stolen directly from Rosemary's baby. <laughs> I'm not proud. I'm not proud. Oh, the, hey, you know what movie stuff you should comes see? from elsewhere. By the way, what? I have a meaning to tell you to see. You should see The Night Walker. What is I don't even know that. It's, uh, you know, William Castle. Mm-hmm. So he was a producer on Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. Big horror guy. Um, dude, this movie is crazy. It's one of his uh, later horror movies. Is it so one he, he like, is it one he directed or another one he produced? He directed it. Okay. Um, Which means and, it's over the top. This one actually isn't really? it's subdued. Oh man, it's so exciting. I watched it with one of my friends and and we were just like blown away by it. Oh neat. I will look it up. And uh listeners, you should also. You should also because I have a feeling some of that stuff's gonna creep into here once you see it. Oh uh, nice. That's great. Um are you are you a horror person? Is this is this <laughs> yeah. something you're into? Yeah, I'm a genre person. Okay. because um, I, I really like uh, I like when things get narrowed down, um, and then how people sort of bend that. And I think I, there's always a level of unreality um, to to any genre. Mm-hmm. You know, you like you don't really think of a genre as a real thing. Yeah. Um, and and I'm I'm a big believer in like all the arts being lies. Um, and it's just. <laughs> how you're telling the lies and why you're telling the lies. Um, so, uh, I like genres. <laughs> that's, that's very upsetting. <laughs> uh, all right. Moving forward. Um, so really like, I think page eight is just establishing that he's back in control. She doesn't remember anything. Um, I will say this panel five where she is serving him. Um, that panel is a re, uh, a redraw for Mirka. It was originally from the opposite angle where huh. uh, he was in the foreground. Um, and it was important to me that he, we see his eyes in this panel say asking, you don't remember what your dream was about uh, because yeah. he's sort of testing her there, right? He's pushing her a little bit. Um, and I think she, she, once she turned it around, I think she absolutely got that. Yeah. Um, then we're outside, uh, here on page nine and let's talk about the fire. Yeah. Let's. (laughs) I've said, I've said a few times that I think I didn't realize how important the fire surrounding the town was, uh, until I saw your colors on it in issue one. Uh, can you talk about addressing the fire and, and sort of the ongoing job of coloring that? Yeah. 
because that's kind of a puzzle. I'm going to pull up issue one real fast so that I can remember what mm-hmm. I did. Um, and I remember on issue three that I did have to talk to Molly about like uh, what the fire is linked to and how it's working and like what it means. Um, oh, interesting. Because that sort of pushes around how how things work. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, so you knew stuff um, in this issue, so pages 9 and 10, and then a little later on we'll see the fire again when they go approach it, that the reader won't find out until much later. Uh, yeah, maybe knowing is uh, too, too rich a word, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, closely guessed some things. Sure. Um, but yeah, so like in issue one, fire shows up a couple different times, uh, but it's... N- it doesn't have the same meaning that it develops later. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have as strong of a specific vocabulary for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like how point. you you really made it uh, omnipresent. Um, and it, it made me aware that they are constantly surrounded by this thing. And for me, it was just a device for them to not be able to leave town. Um, yeah. But the idea that it was this always present thing in their lives, this always present danger that was controlling them, didn't become clear to me until I saw, I think, a lot of issue one where it was, you know, seeing the color of the sky and seeing the smoke in the background I really hit that. Yeah. For me, what happened was like, uh, uh, I don't like being controlled. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Shocking revelation. Um, and like the idea that they were trapped in there by this fire was like, grading to me and I wanted to convey that gradingness constantly mm-hmm. um, because earlier in the issue the fire like doesn't it, it doesn't matter to them you know like you see fire in a lot of sequences to them and it doesn't have any effect on them right it's a matter of so fact. like yeah yeah uh, and so for this fire to be limiting them and trapping them is like meaningful um mm-hmm. but i couldn't quite i didn't know if there was a plan for it or anything so i just like did emotional stuff on it mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense uh and yeah so <clears throat> so i i talked to molly um our editor uh when we got to the fire here because if it was if it was linked to anybody's magic, um, it was important that that link stay strong. Hmm. Um, and for me not to like have to do crazy things to walk it back later. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm not fully clear on how, uh, how the fire links up to everything. So I'm just sort of using it in that emotional way. Um, and I got to do like, um, sort of grosser colors. Uh, How so? Uh, everything is just kind of like gray and olive and like seventies colors, yeah. you know, that people consider repulsive. Um, <clears throat> so, so I really leaned into sort of seventies colors there. Oh, um, funny, that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, I guess you see that in is, the car. Yeah, the light is uh, it's a little. I don't think I've still fully worked it out. But, like, I want the light on the fire to be, like, a more real light because I do know it is linked to some kind of magic. Hmm. Um, but I don't know which magic. <laughs> Should I tell you right now and we can cut this out? 
<laughs> no, you can tell me later. Okay. All you right. should tell me though. It's very important. I to should know. tell you. I, I'm I'm surprised Molly didn't because she knows because uh, she's she might have and I was just on deadline and I forgot. Sure, sure. All right. Sometimes will, that happens. I'll email you later. <laughs> and I'll, I'll send you the rest of the scripts too. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then we get this two-page spread, which now I, like this conversation has been so clarifying for me that to see the green bunker that this is yeah. the source of control makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, did you, what did you, so what did you think before you knew what the green was doing? It ju- well, in this sequence, in this, in this little scene, it, it just made sense as a natural fit. Like, you know, if, if you weren't going to make the obvious sort of metallic choice, to do yeah. something green just kind of made sense to me. And I guess it is the emotional sense that you've, you've built through three issues at this point that of course it would be green. I mean, even looking now and this, I didn't clock this earlier that like the, um, the architects who are here in the bunker, half of them are wearing green shirts too. Yeah. Yeah. You're good at it. <coughs> yeah. Uh, I think maybe even the ones that look blue are actually a green, but they just, Mm-hmm. look blue because yeah yeah oh yeah that's real green because there's so much um, green um because everything's so green that, that anything that's like uh it it looks like a lot of colors but it's really all just greens and it's interesting too though to see so this is a two-page spread and it's three levels um which is pretty much how i described it in my i think in my script i had a lot more dialogue and i'm glad we wound up cutting a lot of that out but the contrast between the underground and how green that is and then the overground, which still has a lot of green, feels like it doesn't because it's contrasted with the 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 intense green of the other two levels. Yeah, and I think I also just pushed that a little bit. Let me double check here. I might have pushed that a little bit more. Yeah, yellow. Because that is like more, that does have a lot of greens in it, but I push it just a little bit more yellow. Mm-hmm. To help the other green look more green. Oh, interesting. That's really neat. It's a good trick. Um, and it totally works. I mean, when you, we, these, these bottom two levels feel not just like we're in another world, but somehow it feels like we're in the real world after spending so much time in that fabricated place. Oh, good. I'm glad. Cause this, this one, everything's kind of small and reflective. Um, so yeah. it was a little bit harder to, to, put in more rendering without it looking uh overworked mm-hmm. so i'm happy to hear that it still looks real <laughs> yeah no it, it feels more real than than previously it's really interesting um i love i had a lot i think i had a lot more jokes on these two pages <laughs> that i wound up taking out which i'm glad but um i love like this last line they're just talking about gardening or some shit um is both to set up <laughs> you know, the garden, like I had to think a lot about what these women do all day because they're not allowed to do anything. Um, and they're not allowed to do anything that could get them hurt or make them bleed. Uh, and it became a real struggle, but I love how dismissive the guys are. Uh, they think they've got this locked down. Yeah. Uh, and so this felt like getting to see them being themselves, not putting on the act of being husbands was a chance to really show that. Um, yeah, yeah. then these next two pages, 12 and 13, first of all, there's so many word balloons on this. I hate it so much. Uh, I haven't 
haven't looked at the finished one. <laughs> oh, wait. I haven't seen the printed PDF, or I haven't seen the PDF with the lettering on it. Well, get there into a lot it, because there's, there's too many words. Um, <laughs> but there was it's a blame lot. for that. Ugh, it's gross. <laughs> well, look, the art is so good. I, I hate to cover it up, but also, I don't know how to tell a story without dialogue. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge. I think it's one of those challenges of comics where, like, you do need words. You need people to say stuff on the panel, unless this is a personal viewpoint of mine. Mm -hmm. If you want people to stay on a panel, um, I think that, like, not having words on it encourages them to look at the art. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's one way to, like, sort of grind your readers to a halt. But if you need to pace it faster, people need to be kind of quippy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it is all about this. All of comics making, right, is about controlling the pace of the story, is controlling the pace of reading. Um, And so I think while there is so much dialogue on these two pages, I do think it works and hopefully it flies by um, where they're sort of comparing all the drugs that they're on and they're all on birth control, which obviously uh, has a lot more, is loaded with meaning, but it's also a means of controlling so much about the women. Um, I have a question. I'll allow it. Okay. Um, They're on birth control. Mm -hmm. Are they on that one that prevents periods? (laughs) Yes, they are. Okay. They are on... (laughs) double check. They're on a fictional version of that one because even that one, uh, many women can get their periods while on it, uh, even if it's just like at once every three months or something like that. Um, So we, uh, after doing the research, like, all right, they are just on a fictional thing that the architects developed that keeps them from uh, having their periods at all. Uh, And that just makes life a little bit easier because it was too difficult a question. (laughs) I do think about that sometimes when I have color. I'm like, hmm, biological factors. Right, exactly. It was, it was <laughs> when I first pitched the book, it wasn't even something I thought about. I was like, well, because the blood magic stuff didn't come till I was scripting issue one. Um, I was like, well, if, that's, if, if it's about blood, then we have to have an answer for that. Um, and this seemed like the one that made the most sense. And then I sort of found a way to uh, pay it off um, in issue four, which I'm, I was glad about. Um, I also really, uh, Molly loves the cheese puffs on page 13, which to me, I don't know. It just felt so funny to me that these guys are just at their job and they're just, you know, yutzes who are like, I I don't know. We're just eating cheese puffs. And I think there were actually extra panels that were specifically about who is holding the bag of cheese puffs, (laughs) which I'm glad we took out. (laughs) I like, they're just trading them back and forth. I, that it's that little thing like does a really good job of illustrating the camaraderie. Yeah. I mean, we, we really want to draw teams, right? We, we really want to say that these guys, even though they may disagree, whatever it is, they're in this together and they do feel like they are in control. And then, um, it, it's by design that Bradley says, I'm taking these cheese buffs because he, he is a little more seniority. He is a little more in control than, or he's a little more uh, uh, of a general or whatever than these other guys are. You know, if Aaron's at the top, then Bradley's there with him or right below him. Um, and it's a suggested hierarchy. It's not something that we really explore uh, until a little bit later. But, you know, I wanted to make clear that they're not all equal, but they do all believe the same thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, all right, let's get through this. So <laughs> they get in their cars, they're going out to the fires. Um, 
we have these pieces in the cards, which I like, you know, I, I didn't want to set this anywhere in time. And I think that uh, Mirka did a good job of creating cars that are sort of timeless. Uh, yeah. And then I love the sort of, as you said, like the seventies palette that you apply to it makes it feel not like the fifties, which it could feel like, and certainly not contemporary either. Yeah. I think uh, Mirka is doing a great job sort of choosing choosing clothes that aren't rooted in too specific of a time mm-hmm. and the haircuts, uh, everything is a little, uh, outside of time. Which yeah. Is great. yeah. 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 Um, and then of course, like there's just la- just layering in the irony of like Mabel saying you're good men and, uh, I'm sure everyone helped and all that. Um, and then we get to this bit with the fire um, I do like Aaron continues to call them girls, which is so <laughs> diminishing. Um, this fire thing, I wish I could remember where it came from. I think it came out of conversations with uh, Molly and Maggie because we needed something active to happen <laughs> in this issue. Um, you need things to happen in your comic. Yeah. If it were up to me, they'd just be like hanging out, talking all the all day just for 20 pages. <laughs> And then two pages of action. Um, but yeah, I like where this turned out. And and it came, I think it came out of the conversation of like, if the women feel like they are straying, if they're starting to question anything, a way of keeping them in control is to, one, for Mabel to have to, uh, for lack of a better word, mother her husband, right? She has to take care of this person. That becomes her entire reason for being um, and then for the others, uh, it's it's just a way of throwing them off their guard, right? It's making them depend more on the men. Yeah. Um, how are you finding, like, because uh, you, you've mentioned uh, in your other, uh, what are these called, uh, accompanying tracks for the mm-hmm. comics, you've mentioned that, that you do really like it uh, to be sort of an emotional core um, and you really want to focus on the relationships. So how are you finding like fitting in action things? It's it, that's been the trick, right? Is like how can action speak to where the character's at and where her relationship is at? Like a a byproduct of this scene of Bradley getting caught in the fire is it brings uh Izzy and Nadia together uh in the next scene uh on page 18. They're the two who go to visit Mabel and and Damina. Um, so some of it is that is like, how does having action, which yes, moves the plot, but how does it also move the relationships? How does it move the character from one place to another? Like I knew by issue six, I wanted Mabel at rock bottom because I know where I want her to go in the second arc. Um, and to get her there, she has to be at rock bottom by the, by the end of the first arc. And so again, her husband being caught in this fire will help us get her there. Um, and Demina and her relationship is in, uh, response to that, right? If, if Mabel's going to be at rock bottom and not actually help Bradley cause she can't bear to, she's Mabel's the one who's sort of most bought into the lie they've been told. Um, then Demina's going to pick up the slack and how does that affect her relationship with this person who she thinks is her father? Um, like it all becomes deliciously complicated and, and soap opera-y for me, which I really like. Yeah. Uh, are when you're thinking of action, do you think of the the consequence 
that needs to happen for the action and then sort of building backwards from there. Yeah, pretty much. I When yeah. I sit down to script, I think about the first couple pages and the last couple pages. And then it's a question of what needs to happen in this issue to get me there. And then, uh, you know, in, in this instance, the last page I already knew. Um, so it was building backwards from that. But then this other piece, 18, 19, uh, I guess just 18 and 19, I knew we had, you know, I wanted these relationships to move in this direction. So what would help us get there? And I think it really was a conversation with the editors who said, we want to know more about the fire. We want to know, like, what's their relate? What's the women's relationship to that? Are they bummed that they can't leave? And that's where the idea of uh, Nadia showing up in the van saying girls were going on a road trip. And then the men having to deal with that. So, so it's sort of like one thing sort of started to inform the other and it all, it all started to work backwards in that way for this issue. Certainly Um, other issues may have been built a little differently. This was a particularly tough issue because we couldn't push things too far along as far as what the coven knows. Um, But we had to move things along emotionally. We had to move things along in the relationships. Um, We needed to do, we knew the reveal of the men in their bunker, keeping an eye on them and controlling them in ways that, you know, were less obvious, um, were sort of secret, uh, was going to have to come out in this issue too. So there was, this issue had to do a lot of work while also not moving the ball too much forward. Yeah. We did, we did a few drafts of this one. This, this really was a tough one. Um, I thought the stuff in Mabel's house was again, really effective, really evocative. Um, I loved, how Mirka drew, I'm on 18 panel two. I loved how she drew her grabbing the bottle of wine. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that, that is. That kind a, of action is really tough to convey in um in a comic since it's, you know. Yeah. Images. But it, that's, it's so perfect and it lands as a joke. Uh, and it also lands in a character way, right? Um, I think that's so good. And then the bottom three panels here of Mabel drinking, um, what I sent to Mirka on this, and you may have seen this in the script too, although we may have sent it separately, um, was the scene in Jaws when Roy Scheider is uh, having dinner and uh, um, yeah. what's his name? Hooper script, comes. Yeah. yeah, it was in the script. I mean, Hooper comes to the house and wants to talk to him about the shark and he just keeps filling up his wine glass. I yeah. love that scene. And I think she really, like she drew it in this uh, and it's amazing. Like you, you get what Mabel's going through here. Yeah, the the acting on uh, that sequence is just so good. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's I wanted it to be so sad, and it's even sadder than I thought it would be. Um, I like Mirka's such a happy person uh, that I wasn't sure how she would pull it off. But yeah. but she like like you say, it's it's absolutely the acting. She gets it. She totally gets it. Um, I wanted to ask you about the uh, 19, the first, the top two panels here and the purple. Oh, yeah. Um, so I sort of figured that their control is going to not do so good. <laughs> uh, I do. I do tend to find that like when people are pushed to a certain point, um, they they are much harder to control. Um, and so I needed this to be just like a little, a little less 
about their control, Mm -hmm. a little darker, a little more diverse in the emotions. Um, Mm -hmm. So I started reintroducing colors like purple. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. I mean, what it reads to, to me, which, which is absolutely what I was going for as well is it's a true emotion coming out uh, rather than the controlled emotion or being rather than being told what they need to feel in this moment. It's what she's actually feeling in this moment. And and it really sells. I, I love how that, how that looks. It's working. You can see like the colors sort of starting to infect other people. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then we'll just we'll we'll just wrap up here. Uh, these this final sequence, these last three pages. Um, there was some sort of uh, desperate housewives, or you know that that sort of suburban soap opera going on on these, where uh, which I really love, and I wish we actually had room to do more of. Where uh, Becky is like, "What's going on with these two? And they're just like, "It is weird over there." <laughs> like, yeah. I want to live in that world a little more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, I, I, t- is there a different green going on in these gardening scenes than there has been previously in this issue? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like uh, I try to do more like uh, this green is the green that that they're voluntarily engaging hmm. in, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not like, I don't think it's that different, but it's like a little more saturated. It just feels fresher um, rather than the um, sort of stifling green I was using in other areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, that's absolutely true. I mean, it feels brighter. It feels like a happier place instead of, like you say, the, the controlled green uh, that you'd used elsewhere. That's really neat. Um, uh, and I always do roses yellow. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Why? Um, so out in Oregon, uh, in Portland, we have this rose garden. Mm-hmm. And it's like uh, all the different types of roses that are conceivable. So they have this test garden. Um, and my favorite colors of roses are yellow and white and purple. Hmm. Uh, but... Uh, purple and white roses tend not to work so well. So mm-hmm. I just do yellow roses. <laughs> That's great. It looks great, and it's a nice like. It's both both a compliment to and the unexpected thing to find uh, here in this garden. It's cool. Yeah. Um, this sequence with the cat. I to be honest, I don't know that it totally plays. Uh, it was a complicated physical sequence that we sort of didn't have room for. Um, yeah. but the idea is basically that there are two cats here and, uh, one is distracting the other so that Becky turns around and chops the head off of one of them. Um, I can talk about this more in the next issue cause there was stuff that got, uh, cut out that sort of explains some of this. Um, I'm not for killing cats. I want to be on the record for that. Uh, but there's obviously stuff going on here that the women need blood for their magic and that is being orchestrated now uh by these cats so that becky uh kills one of them and draws blood and therefore flies at the end um against her control um the how way- much agency do these cats have i was wondering about that that's the thing i can talk about next issue okay because <laughs> there's there's a oh no you know what it wasn't this issue this issue originally started with a three-page sequence um, of the cats all having a conversation. 
Oh, really? Because um, the I think this is I think this is already established that Domina's special power is talking to cats. Yeah. Um, so we're sort of it'll come out next issue, but the cats have a, a, a bit of agency. The cats have personalities. There was a. Um, a political struggle among the cats. Uh, there was a nobility struggle among the cats about who would oh. be the one to sacrifice herself. <laughs> There's a lot going on with these cats that ultimately Molly was like, nobody cares about those cats as much as you do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> I thought they were. I thought it was a really fun sequence and it was fun to write, but I think the editors ultimately were really right that yeah. we have to be with our main character. Like there's so many characters already to keep track of that if we have to start tracking cats as well, it might get complicated. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a lot. Um, uh, but yes, so the cats do have agency. I think that's fair to say here and that um, this distraction and then then uh, Becky turning around with the shears and killing one of the cats is all by design. Um, initially, this was going to happen to Nadia in her kitchen. Um, and... It was sort of set up in the second issue where the cat was running across the table. We were going to see, we were going to revisit that. But a couple of things happened. One was I sort of fell in love with Becky in the second issue and I love writing her. Uh, And I felt like it would be way more fun if it were her. Um, I also realized she's the one who, once these powers are uh, revealed to her, is going to embrace them more than anyone else. And that's what I needed to start moving the story forward. So... It, be, it fell to Becky uh, to have to <laughs> accidentally murder a cat and then fly. And then this last page, um, we've rewritten this last line a few times. I'm still not sure it works, so I apologize to the reader. Uh, but I think it's I think it's funny. I don't know. Initially, what's she was the, saying... What's the last line? I don't remember. Uh, the last line now is, this is not the way I saw this day going. <laughs> which is fine. Originally, I had her going something like, what the almighty fuck, which is also fine. <laughs> which is sort of an echo of the first line of this issue. Um, I'm a little obsessed with bookends in that way. Like I love those callbacks and those echoes of dialogue, of images, of stuff like that, which if it hasn't been apparent already, it should be by now. Um, The thing that is insane to me is the way that Mirka has drawn this dead cat. I know, it's so funny. It's so upsetting, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to make of it. I don't think it's the right thing, to be honest, but I really? kind of love it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's th- great. It, it feels a little cartoony to me, but it's all, it really is great. Like, it's, it's so sick. Um, I, I like leaning into the cartooniness in like this kind of violence just because it gives you a level of uh, distance. Yeah. I think that's fair. Whereas if it were like really realistic, um, I think people would just find it straight up upsetting. <laughs> I, I think that's really fair. And there's enough in this book, especially in these first three issues, that's upsetting already emotionally that yeah. to have the sort of violence to be a little over the top, be a little cartoony. Um, yes, you're right. does give it a little distance. Um, I love how bright the blood is on this. Yeah. I just used her. Um, she drew in all that blood um, and she did the she did like a process red. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Sometimes we get that from Mirka. Yeah. And so on the witch mother, I changed her process red. Mm-hmm. But on this, I left it um, just because I liked I liked how co- cartoony it looked. Yeah, I think it really works. And then the big yellow background, too. Like, 
Can you tell me about that choice? Yeah, let me open up the file because I think I did a few things on this. Um, it because there's texture here too. Was that from you? Uh, we both added texture. She okay. sent me so there's some of it that's hers. The like scratchy stuff is hers, um, mm-hmm. and that is grayscale in the line art. Oh yeah, I see what I did. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I had to try a few things on this one too to get it to work. Um, the so she sent it with this texture, and the the texture was to give it focus mm-hmm. to Becky, um, but it didn't quite work in my opinion in gray. So I color held that to a red, and then amped it up with um, some value changes around Becky, mm-hmm. and that um, putting those dark dark shadows around Becky that are darker than, than are in the cat um, oh, yeah. and that bright light behind her so that you get that high contrast that makes sure your eye is up there and not on the cat. Yeah. Um, because that green red contrast does draw the eye more. Yeah, um, that's true. So I had to even out the, um, even out the value contrast so that you look up there. Um, and then I did all these different attempts with, uh, levels and filters and, um, shifting around the palette so that I could, I could get things um, where I wanted them. Oh, uh, I did this one crazy thing on here. Oh, yeah. Um, So there's something called a gradient map in Photoshop. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it processes each value as a color. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because of the relationships I was looking for in this, where I wanted the shadows to be like really red, uh, I cast a sort of brown red shadow um, but that wasn't quite enough. Um, hmm. especially because, <clears throat> sorry, especially because on the cat, it was like, uh, the way light reflects off of white is different than it reflects off of other things. Mm-hmm. Like the, the shadows are a little lighter. Um, so I put a gradient map, um, on the shadows to sort of <clears throat> make everything richer. Um, it's, Probably hard to tell just looking at it, but yeah, there was a there was a lot of tricks in this one. It's so interesting, and this was a, I know a tough page for both of you. I mean, you did a lot of work on it, and and Mirka read actually redrew Becky a number of times um, in different poses till we could sort of find the right one that had the right feeling of of like confusion and excitement and and just and horror, uh, like all of, there's so much going on in this one splash page. Um, and I think you, you two really pulled it off. I'm so impressed by it. And it's a great cliffhanger, I think for, for the next issue. Yeah, it's a good cliffhanger. Um, how are you thinking about, like I was saying before about the, it, it all being still images, uh, how are you thinking about distilling what you want to say down into one, one moment? That's that's the part that's sort of come easiest. It's the part I like best. Um, and I, I've talked a little bit about this before, but I was lucky enough to be friends with uh, Len Wein uh, before he died uh, for, uh-huh. for a number of years. And Len, of course, created Wolverine and Swamp Thing and like a million characters and, and was writing comics for 50 years, 60 years. And when I first started in comics, Len gave me great advice, which was comics. writing comics is like looking at a film strip and picking out the one image that best conveys the story. Yeah. Um, and th- I think of that every single time. And, and you know, 
figuring out what that one image, which is why like the last couple pages of this issue where I have to convey a continuous action is so hard for me because I, I like the moments. I like, you know, the small visual piece that tells you a bigger story rather than a number, a series of small pieces, which I guess yeah. is ultimately what comics is. Um, I don't know. So I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, it's, it's finding that, finding the physical thing first and then trying to use as few words as possible, though it doesn't always seem it. I know with this book, um, finding to, so your, your scripts are actually a lot shorter than, than some scripts I get. Is that right? Oh yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's comes from taste as a reader too, right? Like I don't like to yeah. open a book and see a whole ton of word balloons. Um, I, it's about ease of reading, you know, it's about, like we talked about, like it's about, about pacing and, you know, there are writers who are so expert at that. Like I looked at so much of Brian K. Vaughn stuff before starting this book. Cause I think he's mm-hmm. so good at that. Um, yeah. anyway, that's it. That's all I got. Um, Thank you for taking us. You said you're reading Brian K. Vaughn. What else are you reading? Right now, I read everything. Um, I think uh, Tom Tom King is the best we have, uh, the best Batman I've ever read. Uh, I read it as soon as it comes out. The other things I read as soon as they come out uh, are Giant Days. Uh, Are you reading Giant Days? Yeah. I love it so much. I can't believe he's done over 50 issues and like, it's as riveting as an action movie and it's just these, these goofy friends hanging out. Um, I really love that book. I got to meet half the team when I was in, I didn't meet the, I didn't meet Whitney cause she's in LA, I think. Um, but, uh, I met the writer when I was in mm-hmm. Pop bubble. Oh yeah. yeah. All. He's so John Allison is so unassuming, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I think I was on a panel with him a few years ago. And I was like raving at him about this book. And oh, oh, thank you, thanks very much. Glad you like it. <laughs> uh, well, it he lit up when I when I started talking to him about how I like Whitney's coloring, and then and then he said a lot. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's really nice to hear. Well, of course, it's so much easier for uh, us to compliment other people. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, what are you reading? What shouldn't I miss? What am I not reading that I should be? Oh man, I don't know. I'm a I'm kind of a mess with that stuff. Um, <laughs> Because, like I said, I don't have a ton of time to read, yeah. but I'll show you actually one thing you might be interested in. Let me see if I can find this, find this book. Um, I've got this book in France that is very, very interesting. I don't read French, so I have no idea what it says. <laughs> uh, but it's, like, really beautiful, and it's about this guy who plucks a little baby out of the ground and tries to raise it. And then it doesn't go great. I don't know um, this at all. We'll have to. Um, yeah, I'll have we'll to put find a link it up for and it. Yeah. You. Um, That's cool. Which reminds me, I love. Have you seen Little Otek? No, I keep hearing great things though. Oh, I love it. That's one of my favorites. All right. Um, if you if you enjoy reading things, uh, I, I highly recommend um, Delicious in Dungeon. I don't know that. It's a it's a manga. Um, and it's in black and white, but the drawing is so sweet and the human interaction is uh, really sweet. And and the overall arc is incredible. Like nice. the, the scale of things is really interesting because it seems, it seems really small and really huge at the same time. That is the best stuff. That's great. Uh, 
Oh, good. I'll look for it. Um, yeah. Does it does it offend you when something's in black and white? <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, I would prefer I would prefer black and white over poorly done color. <laughs> that is fair. Um, well, you are killing it. Oh, and you have a new book out, which we should tell people about. Oh, Grumble. Yeah, which is really <laughs> yeah. fun. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. I really like that one. Uh, everybody is a goofball on that book. And so it's really, really fun to work on. <laughs> and it's a goofy book, but it's also like there are stakes. The stuff lands. Um, I really liked that first issue. Yeah, it's really a blast to work on. Um, and things get wilder and wilder. So it's, it's really, it's really fun. Nice. Good. And people should check it out. Uh, what, who's the publisher again? Uh, that's Albertross. So that's Eric Powell's imprint. Oh, I didn't and realize that. Eric Powell is amazing to work with. Um, he pulls really hard for all the team uh, and he takes care of all of us. And I love him. See? Thanks for taking all of this time to chat. Um, I, I really found this fascinating. There was so much I didn't know or understand. There's so much I still don't understand, but I feel like I'm looking at this book with new eyes. So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for chatting. Of course. Let's talk again soon. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original Dog. podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe Dog. to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.